0: so good. They did a great job. Kids walking through, kids on the stage, the band playing so great. So what a great day. You are here on Palm Sunday. I want to welcome you officially and whether you are here with us very consistently or you're a guest, we very much want to welcome you we're really glad you're here today. Uh, we are continuing in this series called I Am and you notice that on the lawn today, Jesus is now risen. We're a little premature, but he's risen. And. Uh, what a great thing. I, what's been so great about that, a few of you have even come and told me personally or other maybe pastors on staff that that's actually elicited some great conversations. You, you go to the church with the I am thing on the lawn. And here's the best part. What's that all about? Oh, I'd be glad to tell you. So very cool. And today, just this great addition as we get ready to look towards Easter. We're so excited and thankful for the team who put that together Um, I wanted to say, by the way, uh, more than one person has told me, Todd, did you notice that those are USC colors? And I have, I have. And at first I was a little kind of miffed about that. If you're new here, I'm a big UCLA fan. So I was a little miffed, but then I just sat and thought about it for a minute. I totally realized, well, those are the people who need Jesus the most. So So that was great. Trojans, you are welcome here. Glad you're here. And uh, we're going to have a great time today diving in, but very grateful for how great things look. And as we get ready for Easter, Uh, like Steve said, you have that invite card in your program. They're out the doors today. Really be prayerfully thinking who you can invite next Sunday. We would love to just be able to have an opportunity to throw some seed into the lives of people that you are doing life with. Well, in your program, you also have a set of notes if you want to get those out. We are in the book of John as we are almost close to finishing up this series. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we'll be in chapter 14 today if you want to find your way there. Now, of all this excitement that we've had today that's just really kicked off our morning so well... To me, really, one of the most important and exciting parts of our faith is what we get to engage at the end of our service today. Sixteen people are getting baptized this weekend at Trinity Church, and uh, we are stoked for that. So very cool. We have one last service, a few more this one, and then more in the last. So you're going to get to be a part of that. Some of you are especially guests here today because of those getting baptized at this service, and we especially want to welcome you. So we're excited for that. Well, here's where we catch up to. This is Palm Sunday, and a little bit like what Sharon was saying today, that Palm Sunday actually has a lot of tension within it. And I'll tell you why. I mean, it didn't then, in the first century, when Jesus triumphantly walked into Jerusalem. People did just like what our children did today. They came out with these palm fronds. They came out with their coats. They laid them on the ground. Jesus walked in on a donkey into Jerusalem. And that, in and of itself, doesn't sound remarkable to us. But you have to realize, in the Old Testament, in the former covenant... That that is what had been prophesied, Messiah would come riding in on a donkey and the people and the things they were saying, Hosanna, Messiah has arrived. Everything gave the impression that both the people understood and Jesus was accepting the role of Messiah come. That was Sunday. The tension in the moment now comes for us today that only five days later, those same people waving palm fronds and shouting Hosanna would shout with clenched fists, crucify him. There's never been a better example of the fickleness of people who on the one hand shouting the praise of Messiah, on the other hand, were shouting murder him. But that's what begins this week that we get to celebrate and would love to see you on Friday night and on Easter as we, man, Easter, everything changes at resurrection. And so we can't wait to get to celebrate that together. So in this series, Where We've Been, we've been talking about the I Am's. If you just joined us today for the first time, Jesus makes these eight statements in the book of John where he says he is something. And what Bill and I realized when we were putting the series together is that Jesus' I am's are not just declarative statements of who he is. They're actually sharing with us, showing us what Jesus came to be for us. I am the bread of life, the source of lasting nutrition, the source of lasting life, not just what you want, but what you need. I am the light of the world for your sight. I am the door for your protection and provision. I am the good shepherd for your care. Last week, I am the true vine for your strength and support. Jesus is not only all these things in and of himself, but is that to you. And he offers himself in relationship when you enter into a relationship with him. He is these things to you. And today we look at Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father. Jesus in this context is describing to his disciples that he has to leave them and what he's going to go and do. And it's in that moment that he says he is the only way, the only path to be right with God. The now what statement we want kind of blinking in our brain as we look through this passage today. Look at it on your notes and on the screen. Follow Jesus because he's the only way home to the Father. Let's begin. Number one in your notes, people are confused about Jesus's identity and destination. People are confused about Jesus's identity and destination. And what we'll see in our passage today, they're they're not alone. They're not the first ones. John chapter 14, verse 5 is where we pick it up today. Thomas said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Where this is, this is in what we were in last week, Jesus' upper room discourse. He's talking with now his 11 disciples. Judas has already left. This particular part of the conversation actually begins back at John 13, verse 31. And that's when Jesus is getting very overt, very clear with them. I am leaving. You cannot follow But I am going somewhere and you know the way. These are all the things that he's been saying up until Thomas' words at this point. And so when Thomas, he blurts this out, you got to realize that what Jesus has been telling them, they're confused by it. And Jesus says, you know, his last words just before we read, you know the place to where I'm going. Thomas collectively on everyone's behalf around the table basically says, what? My paraphrase. How on earth can we know the way to where you're going if we don't know where you're going? That's an impossible question, an impossible thing. They're already hurt by the fact that Jesus is leaving them and he won't let them come with him. Now, by the way, marching to Golgotha and dying on a tree is ultimately going to scatter them anyway. Didn't garner a lot of followers. Everybody left Jesus that day. And it's when Jesus has the audacity to say that they know where he's going, that's when Thomas loses it. Hey, what do you mean that we know the way, the path, the road to where you're headed? We don't know the destination, so how could we possibly know how to get there? It would be like this. This kind of tension in the room might be this way. I was going to ask you, could you help me out for a second? What's your name? Paul. Paul. Send it, Paul. All these guys want to see you. You, you brought a lot of friends today. We're going to turn around from them though. Okay. So, Paul, good to meet you. Nice to meet you. We didn't talk before service. You didn't know I was going to do this. That's, every magician says that, doesn't he? It's like, not a plant. The bummer is I have no sleight of hand. There's nothing cool right now. Actually, just the opposite. So, if I were to say, Paul, so uh, you know the way. And uh, I need it. Would you tell me what's the way? You don't know because you don't know where we're going exactly. That would be problematic. But but I would say no, you do. So where's what's the way? I don't know. Yeah, equally confusing, mm-hmm. right? And if I keep asking this enough, it's going to boil to a point of not just confusion but probably frustration. Yeah. Yeah. And at which you might want to punch me in the nose. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's like, if you're honest, if I'm honest, yes. Mm-hmm. So it seems like this isn't really a fair question to ask someone the way to somewhere if you don't know what the destination is. Yeah, it's a confusing question. Yeah, you, you never said, I don't know the way. You just said, I don't know where the destination is, therefore I can't know the way. Yeah. Amazing. Good job. Thank you, Paul. So, so what we're talking about is this. That's a little bit what Thomas and the disciples were feeling like in this upper room. Jesus, we don't, we don't know the way there. We don't even know where the there is. How can, you, how can you put us in that position? This is still how people feel today about Jesus. That he was a religious teacher from the Middle East 2,000 years ago who's spoken lots of stories and metaphors, but yet never clearly said who he was or where he was going. That's a general opinion of many. But to them, this idea of, of who you are where you're going, if, if that was true for people today as well as it is then, if it's true for you today, I'm a little bit confused by who this Jesus fellow is and what he came to do. Well, I have good news for you. And here's an, always a great place to start. Start with what you do know. Start with what you have been given. You see, even though Thomas, probably in a flustered tone, asked this seeming very, seemingly very logical question, Lord, how in the world can we know the way there if we don't know it's there? You have to understand that actually just a few verses earlier, Jesus had already told them the to where. Look in your Bibles, John chapter 1 or 14 verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. By the way, Jesus was diffusing it from the beginning. Don't be flustered and confused. That's what that means. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus had told them the to where? My father's house. I'm going there. That's the destination. And that would be synonymous with what we might call heaven. I'm going to my father's house. That's the where. And so the disciples actually, in real time, had literally seconds before heard Jesus tell them that. But that never registered. And so they all, like Thomas, have the same question. We don't know where the where is. We can't tell you how to get there. It would have been very appropriate for Thomas to say, you've said that you're leaving us to go to your father's house and that you're preparing a place for us to join you there. Okay, but how do we get there? That would have been a fair question. But to say, we don't know where the where is, means you weren't listening, because Jesus had just told them. Often I find in my conversations with people who are stuck on this idea of who Jesus is, that he wasn't clear, that, that what he said is confusing. I don't know what to do with it. This is what I simply say. Start with what you have. You do have truth. You do have information about who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, what he did. Begin at least with that. Just in our I Am series alone, just in these last six weeks, here are the kinds of things we've learned about Jesus. Jesus claimed to be God. I Am, I Am was a a statement of deity, so much so that the people around him picked up rocks to kill him when he said it. Interesting thing, when they picked up rocks to kill him for blasphemy, watch this, Jesus never said, oh, no, 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 I was just kidding. Now that it gets serious, you know, there's, there's the temperature's high in the room. Just joking. He never pulls back. I am, I am. We know that about Jesus just in our last six weeks. We know that he's the source of life. Everlasting life comes through Jesus. He's told us that. We know that he is the light of the world. And that he came to help people who are in spiritual darkness have clarity. He told us that about himself. Jesus is the, the source of protection and provision for his people. And that's because he's not a thief or a robber who comes in over the wall. He's the gate who provides those things. We found out that Jesus is also the good shepherd. And that he cares for his sheep and he desires he, to the degree that he will lay down his life in their places. We know he loves that thickly, that extravagantly. We've learned that about him. And last week we learned that Jesus being the true vine, he is the source of all fruit that grows from our lives. As we just simply commit to attach to him, remain in him, abide in him, fruit will grow from your life. These are all things that we've learned about Jesus just in the last six weeks. And there's plenty more in the Bible you're holding in your hand or the Bible you can have access to. Jesus told us a lot about who he is. And here's a simple question I have for you if you're stuck today. It's on the screen. What have you done with the information that he's made so readily readily available? That's a simple question. Jesus has put information out there. You might still be confused. That's okay. But what have you done with the material you can know, that you can read, that you can find out for yourself? I would simply encourage you today, start there. And both for Thomas then and those confused today, Jesus is happy to answer the question of how we can know the way. It's our point number two today. Jesus presented a clear picture of his identity and destination. Jesus presented a clear picture of his identity and destination. It's the very next words after Thomas's question How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Guaranteed, that's not what they were expecting. <laughs> they were expecting some sort of maybe physical roadmap, some sort of pathway. That they could follow. How can you be the path? How can you be the road to anywhere you're a person? People aren't paths. That's just not something within our human capability. Their confusion was relatively appropriate. Jesus was saying something that was startling. Jesus didn't say he knew the way. Jesus didn't say I'll point you to the way. Jesus said I am the way. The Bible portrays Jesus as being 100% human, but also 100% divine. There's no one who's ever been like that. There's no one who's ever been that since. Hebrews helps us understand this a little bit. Hebrews chapter 1, just look on the screen. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, watch this, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, watch this, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If Jesus was the path by which God created the universe, then he was also qualified to be the path of our salvation, the way that we might be right with the Father. It would be like this. It would be like if someone was sitting here next to you today and literally within moments needed a blood transfusion. The need was urgent. The need was real. And you sit down next to them and you say, oh, you need a blood transfusion? Let me tell you how blood transfusions work. And they're like, that'll be great. I'll give you 12 minutes and then I'll die like I don't need to know the way it works I don't even need for you to point someone out who could be a donor I need you to be the donor Jesus says I don't just point to the way I am the way I am the donor as it were in that illustration You know, Jesus actually had someone come before him who did point the way. His name was John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. In all four of the Gospels, John is mentioned. And in every time, John consistently says, I'm not the guy you're looking for. When crowds would come around him thinking he was Messiah, I'm not the guy you're looking for, but I'm pointing the way to him. And then in John 1, when Jesus comes, he says, look, behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John pointed out the way. Jesus was the way. And why are these aspects also so important? Jesus says not only that he's the way, but he's the truth. He's the life. The word truth is found 23 times in the gospel of John alone. But this was wild to me. 20 of the 23, all but three, are used when Jesus is talking about himself or about what he said or about the Holy Spirit. 20 of the 23 times are related to the person of Christ or the spirit he's going to send. That's something to process. There's some incredible weight of the word truth within that gospel related to Jesus. Jesus doesn't just know the truth or speak the truth. He is the truth. And when it comes to Jesus being the life, the gospel of John is replete with the idea of Jesus not just knowing where the life can be found, Or how it could be attained, but that he was the very source of life to the full, even from the very beginning. Look at the screen, John 1, 4. In him, in Jesus, was life. Not a kind of life, was life itself in Christ. And that life was the light of all mankind. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is consistently speaking of life in terms of the eternal, everlasting Presence, reality of being with God, available only through him. Jesus said to those confused about who he is or where he is going, let me help. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. In a way that I could never match, I came across something that D.A. Carson wrote about this whole concept of what is Jesus saying When he says these I am statements about being the way, the truth, and the life. He says it so well. You can follow on the screen. Listen as I read. Carson taking on the voice of Jesus. I am the way to God. I did not come to light a path, to blaze a trail, that you may simply follow in my tracks. Pursue my shadow like a prize that's cheaply won. My life reveals the life of God, the sum of all he is and does. So how can you, the sons of night, look on me and construe my way as just a road for you to run? My path takes in Gethsemane, the cross and stark rejection draped in agony. My way to God embraces utmost loss. Your way to God is not my way, but me. Each other path is dismal swamp or fraud. I stand alone. I am the way to God. I am the truth of God. I do not claim I merely speak the truth as though I were a prophet, but no more. A channel stirred by spirit power, a purely human frame. Nor do I say that when I take his name upon my lips, my teaching cannot err, though that is true. A mere interpreter, I'm not. Some prophet voice of special fame. In timeless reaches of eternity, the triune God decided that the word, the self-expression of the deity would put on flesh and blood and thus be heard. The claim to speak the truth, good men applaud. I claim much more, I am the truth of God. I am the resurrection life. It's not as though I merely bear life-giving drink, a magic elixir which men might think is cheap because though lavish, it's not bought. The price of life was fully paid. I fought with death and black despair, for I'm the drink of life. The resurrection mourns the link between my death and endless life long sought. I'm the firstborn from the dead, and by my triumph, I deal death to lusts and hates, My life I now extend to men and ply them with the draft that ever satiates. Religion's page with empty boasts is rife, but I am the resurrection and the life. I've never heard it better said, Jesus is making these claims. Not to say he knows of these things, to say he is these things. Like we discovered at the beginning of our series, Jesus is not just pointing to the way. He says, I am the way. And that foundational truth leads us to our final point today. Number three, Jesus made an exclusive claim because of his identity and destination. Jesus made an exclusive claim because of his identity and destination. It's the second half of John fourteen six. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what you'd call an exclusive claim. It's the language we use to separate someone or something from all the rest. Here's some examples. In our athletic world, we use the term MVP, most valuable player. That means in that league for that season, that person was the absolute best. They were the most valuable player. In the last four or five years, there's actually become a new term in the sports world called goat. I never thought anyone wanted to ever be called a goat. Yet, in the sports world, it stands for greatest of all time. There is no more of an exclusive statement than that. The greatest player to ever play our sport is, it's used in historical context. We say things like the greatest generation. Some of you are a part of that. And that's an exclusive statement to say all others pale in light of this. But the thing that really traps us, the thing that's frustrating... ...is that we use this in advertising all the time. So much so that we become very leery of exclusive statements. Just yesterday I was walking into the supermarket... And a very kind man just asked me in a polite way, Hey, by the way, would you like to buy a world's finest chocolate bar? Many of you have sold such bars and many of you have um, bought such bars. But I just stopped and paused when I thought of the title. It just caught me. And hear it this way. If it truly was the world's finest chocolate, you wouldn't sell it in front of a supermarket. That simple. Not being a critic, just being honest. Think of some of the other ways we see this in advertising that tends to cause us when we hear exclusive statements, we just kind of shut down. This there are a couple different pictures. Visa, right? Their trademark, their tag. It's everywhere you want to be. What doesn't fit under the umbrella of everywhere? Apparently, space, it works too. But but here's my simple question: if you are in Canada and you're shopping at Walmart, it's not everywhere you want to be. I did my homework this week, this last summer, Walmart no longer takes Visa cards in Canada. So when you go on your trip this summer, discover, okay? (laughs) Check this one out. Here's another one that we become a little bit kind of, uh, I don't know, desensitized to. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Some of you are here today, you own a BMW and you say, Todd, this is so true. (laughs) I say, that's fine, step into my Ferrari and we'll talk. Just kidding. Don't have one. But here's my point. That is an exclusive st- claim. The ultimate. There's no better driving experience than in our vehicle. Now watch. This is a more newer one. I thought this was really great. M, the most powerful letter in the world. It's, it's, a, it's in the M series of BMW. And here's my only point. I didn't know letters were competing. That's so great to know. They're vying for position. M, I'm the most powerful. Last one today, Disneyland, happiest place on earth. Oh, I'm like, oh. Now, I'm going to ask you to hold your sentiment. Watch this scenario. 90 minutes you've been waiting in line with toddlers. You get right up to the front, and the ride miraculously breaks down. Not the happiest place on earth. Here's my point. Advertising uses these superlative statements, these exclusive claims all the time. And we become desensitized to them because we know, no, that's not actually to that literal sense the truth. So what do you do when Jesus makes an exclusive claim? Do you put that in the same advertising category? Well, you know, kind of. I mean, is anything the way? Is anyone the truth? Is anyone exclusively the life? It's what Jesus said. See, so read these words very simply, just, just as they are. By the way, I've done the Greek homework. There's nothing here in this language that has any uniqueness that would make you, oh, but in the Greek, no. Nope. reads just like our English Bibles, which is, by the way, 99% true every time you open your Bible. You should have great confidence in the translation you hold. No one. What doesn't fit under that umbrella? Who, doesn't, in, who is not included in no one? All of us for all time. No one comes or arrives to the Father except, so meaning there's one exception to that reality of getting right with God, except through me, the only person available. To simply what the statement is, what it reads. Now, you can disagree with Jesus' assertion. You can propose alternative ideas to what he is saying. Those are within your ability as a human being to choose what to do with that. But here's what I want you to catch. You have to deal with the fact that this is what he said. You don't have to believe it. I can't force you to do that. That's something between you and God. You can come up with a bunch of other things of what he really meant. Uh, This is what he said. And you have to deal, it it does this, it's like dropping a rock in a pond, there's a ripple effect. A ripple effect when Jesus has the audacity, the exclusivity to say, I am the only way to the Father. It's like we said a few weeks ago, Jesus never presented himself as a good teacher or a prophet. We said then, when he said, I am, I am, he presented himself as God. We said, you have to do something with that. You can't leave him in the good religious teacher world anymore. Good religious teachers don't say those things. That's reserved for people that we put in special places. Watch this. For someone to say, I am the only way to the Father, is also the kind of statement today we put people in special places. And here's why we do it today. Not because it's so audacious, but because it's so exclusive. Exclusive. The greatest sin in America today in an inclusive, pluralistic society is to be exclusive. And here's what I'm trying to say today. I'm not trying to say that we're out to um, be frustrating to people. I'm not trying to say that today that we're here to try to make enemies just the opposite. We're trying to deal with the truth of Scripture, deal with the truth of Jesus. And when something is true, to hide it to hide it, to keep it down, to keep it down here where no one wants to really kind of bring it out and talk about it, that's the problem. We have to consider this reality of what it means for all of us in the room today. There are some people here today that would say, that claim is so exclusive, Todd, I can't agree with it, I can't deal with it, I can't accept it. And I would simply say to you today, number one, I'm so glad you're here, and I'm so glad you're in real time processing this truth. And I would simply say this. Then at least understand, even if you don't accept it, at least understand this is what Jesus claimed. At least begin with that truth, that reality. For others that are here today, and you would say, Todd... You've got to understand, I have friends, I have people in my life, and this is such a, a line in the sand kind of comment. This is such a thing that now all of a sudden we have tension, we have conflict. Everyone was fine to be multiple types of faiths in the room until this statement comes out. And here's all I want to say. Jesus never said this statement to be a hater. Jesus always said this statement out of love. Because if it's true that he's the only way to the Father, why would you ever enter anything else into the mix? You'd want clarity. You'd want the ability to know who it is so you would know who to follow. And the simple reality today, if we were to ask the question, is Jesus the only way to God? I can just tell you with great confidence, Jesus said he was. If you're here today and you follow Jesus and you say, you know what, I believe that. And and I believe it for a few reasons. I believe it because I tried other ways and they never worked. They never were the right combination, the right way to live. Or... I realize this, I've learned this really from a child like I am. I've told you before, I'm a lifer, never not known the name of Jesus growing up. But as I have listened to people's stories, as I have tested their theories, I just keep coming back to, this is the truth. And out of that, you might be here today and you go, Todd, it is so hard to talk like this, to, to share this with anyone because we just live in a culture that just wants to get so mad. I'm not saying that's not true. But what I am saying is I want to present the truth in love, and I don't want to ever stop. And so what do you do? What do you do with that kind of, that truth without becoming cocky and arrogant? Because that's the last thing I'd ever want you to do. How do you instead approach this reality in a culture that is this way? Well, first off, realize this isn't the first time Jesus has been exclusive All throughout our series, literally every single week, he's made an exclusive statement. Look there in your notes. Review them. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Not a light, the light. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Every single time he said an exclusive statement that maybe has never really clicked in our brain how exclusive it was till we got till today, but they've all been in that same vein. And so I say this to my encouragement to you today. If you're here today and you're just like, I don't know what I can do with that. I don't know how to accept that. Then I would just say this. Remember what we said at the very beginning of the message today? Start with what you have. Start with the truth that Jesus has revealed to you and just begin to ask the question, could this be? That would be my simple encouragement to you. Could this be? For those of you who say, yes, Todd, I believe this, but it is hard to live this out, hard to talk about it in the community I live in. I want to encourage you, Peter, one of the 11 who heard these words in real time was a firsthand witness of Jesus saying this in the upper room. Later on, after the resurrection, Peter would be persecuted for his faith. He would be told, don't ever speak in the name of Jesus again. Look what he says, Acts chapter 4. Salvation, talking about Jesus, is found in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter would say, I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm just telling you the truth. And watch this. And I'm willing to have whatever's going to happen next happen. In our Christian culture, in America, in most all of our lifetimes, we've never seen any kind of persecution. But like Steve shared with you this morning, 43 people were killed today because they met at a Christian church in Egypt. Those are all people who theoretically would say, I believe Jesus is the only way. I came to worship on Palm Sunday just like a bunch of people in Southern California did. I had no expectation it was ever going to happen. But I'm here because that's what I believe. There are people in your relational worlds who don't think this way, not even close. Can I encourage you? It's verses like these that get your heart pumping, that get your passions rising when you begin to say, Jesus, the people in my world need you like nobody's business. I'm gonna begin praying for them. I'm gonna invite them to Easter. I'm gonna be an intentional source of influence in their lives because they need to know the Jesus that I know. And the thought to keep on our brains as we leave this week is the very one we began with. Follow Jesus because he's the only way home to the Father. Let me pray. Father God, we come before you today, and we look at these words, and God, we thank you. We thank you for the clarity. We thank you for the truth. We even thank you for the exclusivity, because Jesus was answering a question we were going to ask. Are you, Jesus, the only way? Is there others? Are there other paths? Jesus made that so very, very clear. And for that, we thank you, Jesus, that you have made yourself known to us. Without you, apart from you, we're lost, utterly hopeless. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, Todd, these words are actually not frustrating to me. They're the words I've been waiting to hear. I have been wondering about Jesus, not knowing what to do with him. And these words make it clear he is the only way to the Father. How? How do I walk with him? How do I follow him? What's my next step? The great news is the ABCs explain that. A is to admit. Admit that you have lived life on your terms, not on God's. And because of that, there's a problem. It's called sin. And you knew that. Before you walked in the door today, you knew the different things you've done and tried. You just go, God, I know there's something very wrong with my life. You haven't been able to put words to it, but now today you can. God, I am a sinner. Be as believe. Believe that what Jesus came to do in this I am the way life. Believe that he's the only savior available as he told his disciples he was, as he tells us today he was. Believe that he alone can make you right with the father and see His choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I wanna follow in your steps. You are the way, let me walk that way. Let me walk that path following you closely. And my prayer today is that you wouldn't just know that's what your next step is. My prayer is you do it. You take that step today. Father, we love you. Thank you for being all that you are to us. And we pray in the great name of Jesus today.